Hello there. My name is Stefan Frost, the host of Game Devastation, the podcast you are listening to right now. Just as a heads up, sometimes there are opinions on this show. Sometimes there are curse words on this show. Sometimes I just sob for about 20 minutes. I don't know why people keep listening to it. Anyway, all these things are from me. They're not really representative of the company I work for or previous companies that I've worked for. So just a heads up, then that's about it. Okay, legal disclaimer now over. This episode of Game Devastation is brought to you by Pixel Dynamo. You can find the latest news, reviews, and updates to all the games that you care about. Check out PixelDynamo.com or follow them on Twitter at PixelDynamo for your up-to-the-second news on the games you care about. Also, in a less commercial way, this is a pretty sweet site. So if you haven't checked it out, PixelDynamo.com, go read it. I think I said PixelDynamo.com enough. PixelDynamo.com. Okay, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to Game Devastation. My name is Stefan Frost. I am your host. Today I am talking with Dylan and Kevin, who are joining us from Torn Banner Studios. Uh, these are the guys behind Chivalry and um, some upcoming project that we can't talk about. But uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. How are you doing tonight? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing fine. Thanks. Okay, so uh, to get into it, this is going to be weird because you guys are both completely different job types. So I'm going to have questions that probably are going to go for one person or the other, maybe both sometimes. Um, but uh, just to kind of get into it, Dylan, you are a character artist. How did you start working at Torn Banner? Um, well, I uh, basically grew up in Orange County in like Huntington beach. So I, um, I started working at torn banner about two and a half years ago. Actually, I think I started at the same time Kevin did. Right. Kev, you and I started, started like, I thought you started a bit after me. So you're, yeah. Okay. A bit after you. Two and a half or something. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but, uh, basically, uh, yeah, I was, I was freelancing and doing, kind of the odd job uh that project in in orange county um and one of my friends uh lucas who is uh, an environment artist at torn banner he kind of came to me and was like hey uh we're we're building a studio in toronto and uh we were wondering if you'd uh like to um you know send in your your portfolio to join us up there and uh, I was like, yeah, I am so there. That's That sounds exactly like what I want to do. So uh, I actually I met up with uh, Steve, the CEO at, at GDC that year. And um, we talked a little bit about sort of the plans for the studio. And uh, I, I did an art test, and they, they seemed to like it. So they, yeah. they brought me on board. So you were you went from Huntington Beach, California. By the way, the, I'm in Anaheim right now, so I'm in Orange nice. County too. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, word up, OC. Um, so you <laughs> you go all the way to Canada, which is a different country than the yes. United States. I've heard. So uh, yeah. <laughs> so I know geography real well. So uh, yeah, it's a different country. Um, so you went there and you start working. Is it kind of weird? Uh, living living in one area of the world and then relocating completely to just start working on on a is this like the first actual 
game job that you had or have you been just kind of doing freelance stuff at from home sort of thing or how did that work? Yeah, I I mean, I mostly did uh, freelance and offsite work. I, I did have a, an onsite job. Was, that was my first industry job. Um, but yeah, moving all the way across the continent, really, like probably about as far uh, distance from one end to the other as I could go. And then into the the Great White North was definitely an adventure. It was really exciting. I, I mean, I I love California. Like, I grew up surfing and and doing that whole thing. But uh, I also really love the city and and the seasons up here. It's just like it gets brutal cold. <laughs> so it's inter- keeps it interesting. And uh, I mean. It's just been a blast. Like the last the last two years have just gone by, uh, like an, in an instant because it's just been so fun up here at the office and stuff. Now, Kevin, um, you started around the same time, and you work on gameplay and networking. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I w- I guess for for Chivalry, I built like the back a back end microtransaction server, and I'll and I'll do gameplay stuff and. Uh, game mode stuff and uh, a lot of UI work as well. So taking like the, the flash file that the artist will do and then making that work in game with the controls and with the, with all game events and kind of stuff. Now, when you're doing that, you're using unreal for that. Is that mostly through actual code or is this using like the um, either matinee or um, what's the, uh, the new one scale, called? Uh, scale form. Is that what, yeah, I guess scale is is scale form what you guys are using for the UI. Yeah, and it's it's scale form for the UI, and um, and then that gets, yeah, and then we work with Unreal Script to then communicate into the scale form, which is in the in the Flash files as as uh, Action Script. So it's kind of like a three step process. We don't have to do much of the scale form stuff. That's kind of like a library that works with unreal so at least we don't have to deal with too much of that now how when you're dealing with microtransactions or ui in general i would imagine that the ux experience or the user experience um, is something that you kind of have to iterate on multiple times like how do you find a user experience that works well for people so they're they're not navigating through menus that are you know nine pages deep yeah that's that's a tricky one because you want things to look good but then like you said you don't want people to go through nine screens just to get something um, we did a big UI overhaul with chivalry like a year and a half ago and it, it looks gorgeous and and the user experience is certainly better but then certain details get lost like certain players didn't know that they could change the weapons because the the menu looks so pretty that they didn't realize certain things were buttons, you know. So you always have to balance those things out where it looks good, but then is it functional and is it what players expect? So that is, yeah, that is tough. So you guys are you're running a live game. People that have not played Chivalry or, or maybe don't know what it is, it, it is a, a team-based uh, medieval first-person melee game slasher slasher yeah. slash not always melee you could be the the dude that's shooting with bow and arrow that everybody hates the but yeah the yeah, archer. yeah um but yeah th- that is the kind of point now when it's live 
how much do you guys take from the live experience from your players and kind of integrate into your uh, your tasks versus what you think personally is kind of like the thing to do next? Um, I, soon after we released, it was it was a large part of listening to the community and fixing the bugs that that happened because it was it was built with all remote people um but over the last year or so where we've where we've done fewer updates because we we've been working on some other stuff um we just have to kind of make our own list because the community always wants um balance changes and 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 greater and larger tasks that we just don't want to go into because that might produce more work if we screwed up too much something like that no yeah makes sense uh now dylan as a character artist uh when you were coming in did you have to kind of work within the style that was kind of there were you able to kind of bring some of your own stuff into it um how did that work kind of just getting into this already established team yeah i mean you always try to adapt to the style and make sure your assets fit in the game. Um, when I came in, we were just starting on Deadliest Warrior, which is like a, a little expansion. So um, I was able to do sort of an all-new set of characters, but they still had to fit within the, the chivalry style. So, I mean, you know, part of what I was hired for was my ability to replicate the style. That's, you know... A, very big thing that you look for in an artist when you're, you're hiring them is either you want to see versatility or you just want to see a portfolio of assets that matches the style of your game. Um, but yeah, when I, when I came in, I, uh, I was working on Deadliest Warrior. So the, the characters were, you know, sort of a realistic style, which is something I've, I've been, you know, working on other games in that style. Uh, and then by the time we finished up with Deadliest Warrior, I, I felt pretty confident, you know, matching the, the style. And, uh, you know, ever since then, the I think the last, last sort of big thing I did was a, a remodel of one of our characters. And that was a lot of fun um, because, you know, you're... you're taking a, a an old character and trying to update it and make it look you know new and 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 match with the current sort of uh, visual bar but you really don't want to change it too much cuz you know certain fans really appreciate that iconic look so um i had to really you know take a step back and be like oh i really just want to go at this and throw my my own ideas onto it but it's not necessarily in the spirit of the uh, the original character. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that too because this game has a lot of inspirations, I think, thematically from things like Monty Python and also, you know, Braveheart and, you know, all, all those sorts of movies and things like that. Yeah. What do you, where did you guys draw that from? This, this is just me guessing where that stuff came from, but where did you guys actually draw the inspiration from on a lot of the stuff for Chivalry? Um, well, I, I've heard actually, cause, uh, a lot of the, like, you know, longtime team members talk about it and they actually say that Monty Python wasn't a huge inspiration at first. It sort of organically grew after the, the fan reaction. 
Now, is this because the, the chopping off of limbs in a very gory and dramatic fashion is, is part of the gameplay? And that's yeah. where people kind of were like, oh, dude, that's totally Monty Python. This is Monty Python move right there. Yeah, and just uh, our, our audio engineer, uh, Buckley, Ryan Buckley, who he did all the audio for Chivalry. He, um, he did some of the voices and he had some other people do voices in a very you know, traditional British sort of snobby kind of sounding voice, which um, really, when paired with that gore, <laughs> kind of definitely, you know, summons up images of the Black Knight from Monty Python. Gotcha. Okay, so if if that wasn't the original inspiration, what were the original inspirations? Um, definitely, like like you mentioned, Braveheart. Um, you know, good classic uh, ac- action movies like like Three Hundred and um, uh, that that <laughs> that other um, Kingdom oh, of Heaven. Yeah, your Kingdom of Heaven for sure. Uh, Gladiator was the one I was thinking of. Ah, yeah, definitely yeah. the arena and all that fun stuff. Exactly. Um, so yeah, just those that those sort of uh, you know action packed scenes of just brutal bloodshed um with a hint of comedy in there i can't tell you uh so there was when the game kind of first came out um it's totally up my alley if you if you get to know who i am Uh, i love metal and i love (laughs) history so this game is metal as shit so i was like oh my god i can like (laughs) chop off things and we're like breaking down doors and like killing the king this is amazing so um I got a lot of people at, at work playing it actually, and I can't tell you how many times where we would have to like protect the the royal family or something, and we'd be yelling, <laughs> "Hold!" You know, like part, <laughs> like we'd be yelling that in the office. All these people, like, would you sh- would you shut up, please, and stop yelling "Hold"? Um, yeah. It's good stuff. So uh, something I wanted to talk about with with that crazy violence and combat is uh, you have to have a a, a good controlling game because I think other otherwise people kind of flip their shit and go like I hate your your guts why are you making me play this, <laughs> um, but to do that uh, it takes a lot of effort and so I, I wanted to talk about um, what goes into like networking and how you have combat in a game that's over a network that can still be responsive. Um, what kind of things do you take into consideration when you work on something like that? Uh. Yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, give and take with with where where you do checks and where you have to um, make uh, considerations. Like every since all of the combat is based on your animation and where physical objects are in the game, it's not like a magical bullet that's doing a line trace over you know so many meters over so much time that since we're doing a, a check every tick on everybody's sword when they're when they're attacking sometimes we have to do things on a client versus the server otherwise the server gets um, overloaded or something like that so trying to do things as intelligently as possible is really difficult where sometimes we have to do the art the arrow check on a client just because we can't have the server doing uh, projectiles and the server just says yep that looks like it could have been a hit it just kind of does math one time rather than checking the arrow every tick 
So, you know, that was one thing that was done just to make everything run a bit smoother over the network. Now, uh, one of the things I also noticed about the game is when you swing a sword, it's not like uh, like a ninja would would swing a sword where it's, you know, like really quick. It's kind of a, has a big, like, carry through. Now, is that also to kind of mask the latency or is that just this is the kind of gameplay we were going for and this is what we wanted to do? I think it's much more about realism and how if you were swinging a sword that was four feet long and made out of steel and have a big steel haft, or um, then it's going to take you some time to like wind up and get a good follow-through. So I think that was much more on the realism side than anything with with networking. If it did it quicker, then it would be over less time and probably less expensive when it comes to like server <laughs> checks and networking. So it probably did uh, had the opposite effect. Okay, gotcha. I'd also like to just add that, like, uh, like gameplay-wise, it's a big, you know, concern with uh, readability of of attacks and and swings and stuff like that. It's it's something. It's one of the reasons why um, changing animations is so such a subtle art in our system because um, you know if you shorten the wind up time on a weapon you could be making it, you know, much better uh, than a bunch of other weapons. Or uh, if, if the wind-up time is, the, not just the time, but the actual motion isn't clear enough to other players, they're not going to be able to really react um, and block. And so since the gameplay is so much based on that sort of, you know, reaction and and then taking advantage of, of the opportunities that you see and read on your opponents that it needs to be kind of slowed down to some degree, just to be at a sort of human level of um, readability. Because, like, if you look at real combat, um, while we do try to be realistic, it's just boom, boom, it's over in three seconds, and the fatal blows happen, and, and the person didn't even see what, hit, what you know, happened to them. So right. we wanted to give it... A feeling of realism, but also, um, you know, have this sort of Hollywood sense of blocking and reacting and stuff. No, absolutely. Um, And I was actually going to kind of get to that point because there is um, a fine line because there's a lot of people that they'll play games and they want a cinematic experience when they play games. Like I hear that all the time. Like, this is truly a cinematic experience. Um, How much of that is taken in because we were talking about the movie influences, but um, how much of that is, is put into the game um, when it comes to actual combat? Mm. Well, uh, to start, like we locked the frame rate at 24 FPS. Um, Cause we think that's more cinematic. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no. It, yeah. That's definitely a big consideration. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, Kev. You wanna you wanna take that one? Um, I I I think one big part was trying to make it cinematic. Like it it sounds crazy, but but like how you mentioned earlier with chopping off limbs. You know, that's that gory, disgusting detail that maybe you don't recognize right away. But when you're playing the game more, you're like, oh my god, this is like gruesome medieval <laughs> combat, and it's awesome. So. You know, 
doing the cinematic experience in a multiplayer game with no story mode really or single player stuff um, is a bit more challenging. But with that, with the subtleties like that, I think it can still happen. So yeah. uh, I totally agree. Um, and uh, it's I, I think it's a it's a good thing that that you uh, like. I, I, there isn't a lot of explanation, or at least that I've seen from you know what the what the Agatha Knights are versus you know the the opposing faction. Um, but that in a way that's okay, right? Because the focus is chopping off dudes' arms and that's fun. So yay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think, I think a big thing that, uh, the players really like is the, the, um, team objective map, uh, like maps, which are definitely like our most popular maps. Like that's actually one of the pillars of our game. Um, and I don't know, uh, cause I wasn't involved in the early, you know, early stages of, of designing the the game but like i'm not sure that that was something that initially seemed like it was going to be a pillar but you know having the the multiplayer engagements take place on this you know large battlefield with a sort of progression where you you have an objective and you're coming out and saying we're going to go poison the well and kill all the peasants it sort of puts you into this um this world that you feel immersed in where you know you don't necessarily need to know the background of and the motivations of why the Mason team wants to poison <laughs> the well, but you can sort of just project yourself into that situation a lot easier when there's that context. And uh, I think that really helps the cinematic feel. Well, I, I think that's also like uh, there was somebody that, that I worked with at uh, way forward uh, when I was doing level design stuff and they would often say you should tell a story with your spawning, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a story as in like, one day these people ran outside and did this thing, right? <laughs> the The story is, you know, they're jumping off of uh, from a building ledge or out of a window or they're breaking through a window or whatever. Um, and that entrance is like, okay, that, that puts it more in the world and mm-hmm. it makes you feel like, okay, these guys just didn't come from thin air. They came from something and they're, they were doing something prior to being here and it makes it feel like more of the experience. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the one, uh, w- something I kind of wanted to talk about as well as these objective maps. Um, wh- did that come f- uh, when that kind of came out? Was that something that was like, Oh shit, we need to do more of these. Cause that seemed <laughs> to work out pretty well. Or was that, you know, uh, well, we figured out what one of these things are from the beginning and we knew that these were going to be good. So we're going to make these kind of longer matches that make, take you across a map. Um, it's hard for me to be sure because, you know, I wasn't necessarily working through the whole process, but I do know that once the game came out, um, there was a huge clamoring for more TO maps from the, the fans. And, uh, it was something that we really tried to get on top of and, and, and you know, put some new content in the game. Um, we eventually had a, a community contest, and and you know, actually added some maps from the community uh, that were these epic TO like levels, and those were really popular. They're you know, they they caught on right away. So I think like the the one downside is that they are so much more complex, and they just take so much more time to to QA and, and go through all the bugs and all the, the issues that can, that can happen. Uh, so question about, 
the QA process since you bring that up. There was uh, the game was initially started, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, which you probably am, uh, by a bunch of guys out of school, right? And then they kickstarted it and then Bladow, you had the game. Um, Essentially, yeah, yeah. It was it was a mod initially, just a source mod called Age of Chivalry, and you can still play it on Steam right now. I think there's probably 50 people playing it. But So those guys then said, hey, let's do this for real, and Unreal Engine 3 just turned royalty-based, so they didn't have to, like, shell out a lot of money to... to start development and then I think it was you know like two years of of kind of hardcore development and people ranging from being in France to Sweden to uh, Vermont Florida Tennessee Manitoba Winnipeg Vancouver you know just all over the place and they produced this thing so that's crazy um, because that that's just a lot of different people in a lot of different places comes together and is good uh, is not always something that happens well. Um, so that's impressive. But uh, something I wanted to ask was the QA process. Is 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 there a QA on site or is the QA you guys playing through the game a lot and figuring out what the bugs are and fixing them? And Or the community, is it you know putting it out and then finding out what the problems are and then fixing them? How does that work? Uh, initially, it was just the the guys playing the game and, and, and fixing what, whatever they could and through alpha doing some of that post release. It wasn't, it was probably eight months before we had a full-time QA person and then they were kind of brought on for a deadliest warrior QA. So kind of that whole development into like eight months post release, 10 months post release, it was just us playing the game and listening to the community um, but now, yeah, we, we have a full-time QA um, that kind of helps us stay much more on track and, and do a lot better than doing initial remote tests or, or just even informal tests. Uh, so uh, to change the subject a little bit um, from the game to where you guys got your start, uh, Dylan, we talked about your background Kevin, how did you get your start in games, and how did you end up at Torn Banner? Uh, I actually got my start as an engineer programmer. I worked at a at a engineering firm writing software for toll highways. So I'm that popular guy, you know. At a park. <laughs> um, so I, I did that for about five and a half years, and I actually know, and and this, you know, I'll I'll. I'll caveat this by saying you know i earned my position and but i actually knew steve the the president of the company outside of work before i ever like applied for a job or anything and and i it was interesting i got to see the game kind of blow up you know from almost like his family's perspective uh, oddly enough and so when i heard that since they were doing so well they were looking for more programmers i decided to you know leave my engineering toll firm job and start my dream job of being, you know, a programmer working at a game company. Um, yeah. So, and then a couple months later after, after the game was out, I was, you know, a, a member of the torn banner team. Very cool. Now for people that are looking to get into the industry, uh, in both of your positions, and we'll start with you, Dylan. Um, what would you recommend 
for someone who's like, man, I want to be an artist in games. How do they do that? Um, you, you gotta do a lot of art. <laughs> um, I like my avenue into the industry, um, was mainly self-educated. Like I went to, uh, used to got a, like a associates in, in fine art, but I mostly learned how to do what I do through online tutorials and just trying to get feedback from people. And I think that's honestly a pretty good way to go. Like, um, there's a lot of great game degrees out there. Um, but in a lot of cases, you'll, you'll end up with a bunch of debt and depending on your own, like motivation, you may not actually come out of, of that degree with a portfolio that can get you a job. So I think it's no matter like whether you're going to school or you're just kind of doing it on your own, your, your own motivation and, and desire to work every day and learn you know, any chance you get is going to be the main thing. Um, I would also say, like, you should, it's important to start working with people in any capacity and just working on games. Like, for a really long time in my early career, I just sort of did art and I didn't, uh, wasn't very integrated into, like, a full game development, you know, pro project. Like, um, my first job was a, uh, a, a 3D artist working at an outsource firm. So, you know, I worked on a bunch of uh, car models uh, for, for Microsoft, but I was, you know, outside of the whole process. So once I started, like, you know, just, you know, getting involved in a game jam or starting a group project with my friends, I started getting a lot more familiar with like the the realities of, of making game characters you know like obviously when you're doing a portfolio piece you want to make beautiful art and it doesn't matter how many polygons you use or how big your textures are but when you're making it for an actual game it needs to not make the whole thing crash and <laughs> needs to you know run well so you also need to learn a little bit of like speed over obsessive sort of detail for sure. So when I, this is a fascinating conversation that I like to have with, with artists in particular, um, mm. when do you look at an, a, a piece that you're working on and go like, this works like, this is, this is what we need for the project versus, you know, iterating on it for eternity. <laughs> um, it's a process for me. I mean, like Torn Banner is a very different environment to a lot of the other environments I've been in because uh, a lot of times at Torn Banner, uh, you'll get get to a point where you're pretty happy with it, and then uh, you sort of you know ask for feedback from the whole team, and everyone's invited to put in their thoughts on it and. You know that that begins a process of iteration to where the, almost you know the whole team sort of agrees that this is great, and um, so 
the point at which you know I personally decide to to move on to that stage, it um, it's it's sort of based off the concept you know that I get. Uh, it's it's based off of how important the asset is. Like if I'm doing a full character, I want to polish that thing and make it look as good as possible uh, before saying that I'm done with it. Um, you know, obviously not going off into two months of, of development time on it, but if it's something that is just going to be in the background or it's going to be a not really a main piece, I'm going to, you know, probably take more shortcuts with that and, and take less time on it. That's funny. There was a, a conversation that I had with a buddy of mine who was the art director on Wildstar and he was saying that um, he had worked on this this piece one time and he got it just looking gorgeous and he spent weeks and weeks on it. Uh, and then they demoed the game and it was something that players would just run by just like that, yeah. you know. <laughs> and he's like, but I spent time on the thing. Go back and look at it. Ah. Yeah. So oh, for, man. You just learned from there, you know, like, well, maybe I need to be uh, smart with how I spend my time on this stuff. Yeah. Now. Now, Kevin, uh, how does one become a programmer? You probably have to do math and stuff, right? I've heard. Uh, yeah, I had to do, you know, definitely some math. And uh, and in my, some of my day-to-day work, I do work with literal ones and zeros and, and vectors and matrices and all that kind of fun stuff. What about um, parabolas? You work with those? Uh, you know, some some float curves are parabolas, so that you get some nice ease ins and ease outs. On oh some yeah, buttons. nice. You know, yeah, things don't don't ease themselves there. <laughs> it's good for cameras, you know what I'm saying? You got to smooth that shit in. Oh it's, yeah, it literally, it's so funny when if you you can tell what programmer it is because it just starts and then it goes and then it finishes and there's no like prettiness to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you can always tell that the programmer did the UI. Um, but, um, yeah, so so the math and, and, and obviously programming. I did computer science personally. Uh, other people have done software engineering, just that's maybe a bit more hardcore. Um, and then after that, you know, five years of, of working in, in the field I did, which had lots of its own networking and, and lots of C++, you know, that's definitely kind of the language to learn, I would say. Um, and then uh, I, I made a little phone app that kind of got me more into programming. And th- that those skills, you know, do translate to working on a game where you still need to iterate over large amounts of data in an efficient way and, um, and just kind of a passion for video games and asking smart people what the best way to do things are. I've never shied away from asking for help. And that's, you know, there's some great, fantastic programmers on the Torn Banner team and they have helped me a lot to develop my skills and become a somewhat competent video game programmer. <laughs> Can I ask? Yeah, Sorry. yes, please. Um, what's, where do you come down on the whole, like, uh, degree versus self-taught kind of angle Kev, like for programming um i think somebody could totally become self-taught like there were people in my program who were you know light years ahead of me 
in the programming and their, their skills and, and their math um, who probably have been doing it for years and had better high school, you know, programming teachers than I did or something. Um, but, you know, there's still, I think, a bunch to, to take away from learning from somebody who can kind of teach you a bit more efficiently and just you get broader knowledge and you're like, oh, that thing exists. Like sometimes I look for, I, I write all this code that does this complicated thing and then I realize that there was already a library in Unreal that did it for me. So, you know, being self-taught, yeah, you can like muscle your way through some stuff, but being taught by somebody, you know, can kind of lead to different discoveries. And, and I think uh, goes back to your point of like working on a team and, and learning from other people because, you know, I think you'd agree that you should never really stop learning in, mm -hmm. in, in this kind of field and working with other people that say, hey, check out this new cool thing. You know, that's that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So the school thing comes up a lot on on this podcast and, and just at work, you know, when we're talking about that stuff. Um, yeah. it, it seems to me that um, it, it, it's good in, in some ways because it, it will teach you the skills necessary to help out doing the job that you need to do. But there's something to be said about actually doing the thing to make you better at it, right? And right. to your so. point of working with people, that is because you can in your head you're like oh man i'm gonna do this these things are gonna be great uh, my vision is gonna work this entire time um but that's that's not how games work we usually unless you're like this crazy powerful dude who's paying everybody money and you know you can make all the calls but really when it comes down to it it's a it's not a democracy but it it's you have to get people that will side with you on things and you know convince them of this is the right way to go. Um, yeah. So that, that can be part of it. But yeah, so the, the school thing is interesting because from the d design side, um, I, it's funny, like we would look through resumes for people that were applying for stuff and there, or we'd talk to them at conventions and they would say like, Oh, well I have a master's in game design. You're like, <laughs> cool. Have you made a game outside of school? <laughs> no. Okay. Then, that's weird because you, yeah. you might not know what it actually takes to, to get something through a process or approved through Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo or, mm, yeah. you know, dealing with deadlines or, you know, not getting paid because you missed a milestone or, you know, there's a lot of things that are uh, just different um, from having like, oh, you have a month, get it done, you know, with, with some people and you get a B for not delivering it on time. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I think like game design in schools kind of it's like, oh, don't worry with this piece of paper, you know, people will hire you, which, you know, can kind of be the case with with some other fields, not to say that some other fields are, aren't very difficult and you have to go through a lot for school, but you can kind of prove your worth by by getting that diploma or that degree um, a bit more so than I think you can with like a game design degree or like a master's of game design. I don't know mm -hmm. if you guys would agree with that or not. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, like, on the art side, it definitely seems like there's different angles for different departments of what the value of a, of a degree is. Um, but, like, character art, at least, seems so much about repetition and just doing the, like like you said, Stephen, just doing the, the thing. 
um, that you can you can learn all the theories and have a great art teacher that tells you all about color theory and the fundamentals and stuff, but that's only going to get you a little bit of the way there. You have to be just doing it. That that's the ninety percent of it. You have well, to put it how in much, hours, you know. How much of that is talent versus learned ability? I don't know. I, I like on one hand, I don't, I don't believe in talent, but also, you know, I, I definitely think there's people that have certain tendencies to have just you know better observation. Um, that's one thing I've noticed for sure. Is there's some people that can pick out important, they can sort of distill important pieces of an of an image and and replicate that that more easily than than others. Some like I feel like the kind of person who just has to brute force, you know, work at it and work at it and practice until it's second nature, and then I can make 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 something good. Um, but I, you know, I I think everyone has to work really hard before they they get to a professional level. I think that's fair. Yeah. For, and you know, on the production side, it, it, it's kind of the weird one because, um, so I am noticing that more AAA companies for producers are looking for bachelor's degrees from accredited schools, so, you know, from a university that is like, uh, UCLA or USC or whatever, um, oh, yeah. uh, versus what it used to kind of be, which was you just kind of work your way in, maybe from the bottom and, and kind of work your way up. But it's, uh, I, I can tell you, like, I have a degree in communications. I use literally nothing from it. Yeah? Day to day. I mean, I really, I mean, I don't write essays about phonemes and phonetics and why we communicate the way that we do. You know? <laughs> That's like, true. It has That's nothing true. to do <laughs> with, with what I did. But uh, I think the thing that it proves is that you were able to, put your mind to doing something that is uh, a ton of work and you know that you you got out of it and actually finished it which is is good um but uh, the weird thing with you, you don't need like project management training i don't think i think that's a lot of stuff that you can learn mm-hmm. um there's a lot of people that have project management experience like they've gone to school for it they are scrum masters they know the whole thing mm-hmm. and i and i feel like they're still they don't know how to apply that to game development. So if, if something breaks their worldview on that, then that can kind of break how you make games. I mean, there's a lot of people who are like, no, it didn't fit in this way. Uh, and then they get <laughs> yeah. upset. So uh, yeah, when you sure. say uh, like they're looking for a bachelor's degree in, in game design or just no. a bachelor's degree in, in whatever, just to, like you said, to, to show that you, put your mind to something for three, four years and, and got it done. Yeah. I think it's, it's with the producer route. Uh, like for example, I worked at Disney interactive studios. They would not hire, um, any producers that didn't have a bachelor's in from an accredited university. So not if, if I came in there and said, I have a game design degree, they would be like, no, we're not going to hire you. Um, wow. hmm. yeah. Um, I've, I've always heard, like, you know, you always see the, the job ads that are, like, requirements for your degree. Right. Um, but I've always heard that that was sort of just a smokescreen to keep, you know, sort not, of just filter the some applicants, but uh, apparently not. That's I, Yeah, well, that's at Disney. Now, there are yeah. other places where maybe that's not the case. They're, they're also a big, 
you know, multinational company that's, you know, billion dollar business that does things other than video games. Um, they have a full HR department. So. They have, dude, they have an <laughs> HR department in there. It's crazy. Oh, uh, yeah. That's also, by the way, Kevin, like, Kevin is also our lead HR. <laughs> so <laughs> only I may make uh, inappropriate jokes at work because I can't. <laughs> Do you have to talk to yourself when that happens? And yeah. you're like, Kevin, can I see me in my office, please? <laughs> he does that all the time. Yeah. Nice. Um, get out of working. Yeah, that's true. Excuse me, I need to have a meeting with myself. <laughs> that's weird. Uh, so, okay. Um, getting back on the track here with the game development stuff. So, we've talked about where the game kind of got started. We talked about you guys getting in here where you came from, what are, what are the things that you guys have learned since being on the game that you didn't really fully grasp prior to getting into Torn Banner? I know it's a big-ass broad question, but okay. hit me I, with some. Um, w- one th- little scene that I was was never like a part of a team, un- like a real game development team until Torn Banner, I was amazed at like the, the man hours and the dedication that it takes to really build a full game and like just seeing the work that goes into modeling characters or trees or rocks you know like really blew me away that it takes you know true dedication and 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 a ton of skill to make this stuff look good and, and be efficient and you know I it's a lot like programming where you have to like build a good base and and then reiterate on it and make it better and better and better um and and that would that really floored me a, a bit when i when i showed up and i was like oh you can't just make a character in like 3 days or something like i was just a to- <laughs> i was completely ignorant of, of a lot of that stuff and yeah it's really impressed me just seeing how how a game can come from nothing into something yeah i mean that i don't want to steal kevin's thing but that's kind of one of the main things that i've learned as well i mean just it seems almost herculean the the process because this is this is the first game that i've been on or um this game being our our secret unannounced title that i i won't give any details about but uh, that I've been on f- from inception, you know, to the point that it is at now. And um, that was something I was not aware of. D- just all the the planning and effort and uh, the just deciding what, what are you going to make? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what is it? What's this going to be? You know, what this, you have a blank slate, um, especially with all the tools and just, you know, the power that developers have nowadays. It's sort of like, well, shoot. Okay. Uh, what do we actually want to do? You know, um, because most of the, most of the games I've worked on have been me sort of just having a task handed to me and I'm, I'll do it. And then, you know, send it back, and they're like, good job, get a pat on the head, and uh, there's not much of my own thought, or thought going into the the reasons why I'm doing this thing, um, so that's been the biggest, you know, eye-opening experience for me, for sure. Earlier, you were talking about the review process after you finish an asset, and 
everybody kind of takes a look at it and says like, oh yeah, this is cool or I don't like this or whatever. Is that a common thing throughout the company or is that just with art? Yeah, no, it's definitely a like very flat structure and a very um, open environment. And uh, it's like a completely... Well, okay, I won't say completely leaderless, but it is very much just everyone's ideas get put into the into the mix, and the best ones survive. And uh, that's a really refreshing environment for sure. It makes you feel so much more empowered, and and you know it it builds a lot of trust as well because you don't you know you, you can give feedback to someone. And know that they're gonna take it into into consideration, and if they don't necessarily do what the feedback that they've still given it a lot of thought, and they're they're gonna kick ass on that. Um, it's a really you know good sense of camaraderie that you get from that. You know, rather than rather than the sort of maybe us versus them uh, attitudes that I see sometimes with very stratified, you know. Uh, where you've got the art director telling the the lead to tell his line artists to that's you know that's how it's going to be and you know the feedback isn't quite as uh, open but um, yeah it's great now uh, is your so your feedback is also a, a part of the um, design process as well when you guys are playing the game is it like are you guys doing company wide play tests and going like all right let's get in there let's mm-hmm. Let's do the fighting thing, and then let's just talk about it and make adjustments according to that. Or how does that work? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what what happens. It's just play test, and then you know sometimes we'll have a little meeting at, at the couches, or maybe it'll be like an email survey, or it could just be a designer or or, or someone else just coming around and be like, hey, "What did you think about this section?" or how did you feel about this character or, you know, just tell me your thoughts. And, and then, you know, hour long conversations that go, you know, well past seven, 8 PM can happen. And, (laughs) uh, and, and, you know, and that's great that, that it can be so open and you can talk about so many things, but there are sometimes the bad sides where since everybody can give their opinion, you know, we can, maybe talk about certain small details for too long and, and, mm-hmm. and that can, can slow us down when maybe, you know, if we had just picked one of those two options initially, we could have saved ourselves some time. So, I mean, that's, that's like a really, that doesn't happen much, but if it does, you know, it can take a while. So yeah, it's a, that's a definite trade off is, is you, you lose a little bit of speed for sure. Just yeah. in, decision making yeah yeah it's worth it i mean i've i've done things on teams now where um where we've been kind of siloed right where it's like art sits here design sits here that's how we make the game right um and then i've also worked on teams where everybody is on one feature and they they drive that feature to completion to get it to the point of where it feels good um and yeah that i think that uh creative process provides a lot more ownership when everybody who's involved with that gets to kind of say something about it. Right. So it's not just, well, I made the sword. There you go. And then (laughs) you pass it off to somebody as opposed to 
you know, this you're you're helping make the sword, you're seeing it in game and you're saying like, you know, it'd be cool if, if we could add this onto it and then add more things to it and get being part of that process, I think is is a big thing. So good to hear. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so lastly, um, before we go, because it's it's near an hour and it's midnight for you guys. And I apologize again. I'm sorry. Oh man, I'm just hitting my stride. <laughs> oh dude. All right. Uh, load up some uh, Rocket League or something like that. Dude, that game, by the way. <laughs> I'm real bad at it, but man, I like it. Oh, oh it's, so it's a, some sort of time vortex is what it is. Oh, it yeah. yeah, it does drain everything the out games of you. It's only 5 minutes and then you get scored on 12 times, so it takes like 10 minutes to lose or something. And you can't you can't <laughs> end on a lose either, right? No. So you're oh, yeah. like no, no, we use well, just one more. So just take one more. Yeah, it's just one more. <laughs> then you get smoked again, and you're like, just one more. It's fine. We'll <laughs> so, um, you know, I uh, wanted to talk to you guys about competitive gaming a little bit too, because so clearly you guys are playing Rocket League. Um, mm-hmm. it, is is that the kind of games that everybody is into pretty much? Because I mean, you're making a competitive game. Um, is this, the, okay, I'm going to not ask this because it was going to be about the, the game that you guys were making in the future. But for previous stuff, you know, I mean, is that a majority of what you guys are kind of playing? Like, it's, we, we're doing the competitive thing because that's the kind of games we make and it's, it's what we like. Mm. I mean, you know, just for the reason that it gets so much energy going on the team when you're all playing a competitive game together and yelling at each other. <laughs> that's like... Just that alone is a good reason to be playing the, lots of those games. Um, but yeah, you know, the competitive multiplayer games is something we we love to play as a as a team. Um, we have we have this one little uh, tradition we've had going for a while, which is uh, Fridays. Actually, I think it moved to it moves back and forth, but it's uh, like it's Friday every, every two weeks on Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every two weeks on Friday, we'll load up a game. Yeah, play together. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah we it's... we will do it at lunch usually. That's oh, yeah. the yeah. It's like okay, let's all play Diablo or let's all play Overwatch or let's all play you know whatever. I was playing. Have you guys played Reign of Kings by the way? I haven't. Not shoot. Mm. Um, so it is. It's like survival crafting, but medieval. Oh, oh yes, okay. I okay. I've watched a bunch of let's plays because they're absolutely hilarious. They're, yeah, the one ridiculous. where you can like tie people up and yes, uh, that's hang the them one. Oh yeah, I've seen so, a bunch of videos of that. <laughs> I gotta so check that out. It is a. Uh, it's weird. That genre to me is super interesting. Uh, I've talked about it on the show before, but it it's a very interesting genre because that game in particular, though, like it is meant for trolls. Like yeah. trolls love that game because it's like <laughs> there was a dude that i was playing with one time uh where you do that th- i don't know if you play those games at all but typically when i'm playing them i'll come up to to guys i'm like whoa you cool you can try to kill me we're cool right we're cool bro <laughs> don't don't try to, we're cool and then you forge a relationship this dude is such a tense like like uh friendship you have <laughs> yeah it's tenuous and you even the whole time you're like maybe crafting something with with some bros and then like you don't know if they're just going to club you over the head and then take all your stuff or you know whatever um yeah. but I, I this guy we built up like a castle and like we had like armor and stuff and then uh 
I'm like, you know what we should do? We should recruit more people. We're building this stuff so fast. Like, if we had more people, it'd be have like awesome castles and armor. So let's go do that. He's like, yeah, or let's go murder people. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from, man? Where, that, that was really weird. But all right. So we went out and he he like threw a um little bag on the ground of, of stuff to this dude and, and he's like, Hey, I gave you some stuff. And the guy's like looking through it, like, oh, I wonder what's in here. And while he's doing that, he like tied him up and started running back to the the castle. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> the guy's being drugged back and he's like, what's happening, guys? What are you doing? He's like, shut up or I'll kill you. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. What's, what's going on? You're accessory to murder at this. Dude, I know. I'm now part. Well, eventually, the end of that story, by the way, is that that guy he was dead because that guy murdered him because he was a psychopath. And he like told the king and the king came down with like all his dudes and they just murdered us because... We were oh, we were the kidnapping murderers, and I was just an accessory to that crime. I got killed. Uh, As you're stepping up to the gallows, you're like, "Thanks a lot, dude. I just wanted to have some fun." <laughs> then, that's the thing. I actually, I was on the gallows, and luckily, because it's early access, I like glitched out and was able to run away. Nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I gotta check this out now. I'm I'm actually really I like these kind of games for sure. If I would recommend playing it with lots of people because if you're just playing it by yourself, it's just kind of meh. But if you play it with with some buddies and then just weird shit, those let's plays are are great examples of who knows what can happen in those kinds of games. <laughs> yeah. Um. So okay. Yeah. We, anyway. Anyway, we we were talking about competitive gaming stuff. Now. How much of Twitch has influenced you guys in in development? Because I feel like Twitch to me is kind of a game changer in a lot of things. Because if you look at the the top games on Twitch, a lot of them are competitive and um, you know very team based and starts turning into a sport. Is is that something that you guys follow or you know watch on like watch chivalry on Twitch? Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some times where. Like uh, a notable streamer will will tweet us and say, "Hey, I'm doing I'm doing some chivalry right now," and we'll retweet that. And um, we've had a couple tournaments. I think there's there's a big one that just happened. Well, big one for chivalry for us. Um, so it's definitely something that kind of is in our back of the mind. Uh, but but for chivalry in particular, it it was kind of let's make a really good looking, good fun game, and if if something competitive comes out of that, that's great. But uh, it, it wasn't huge in our minds at the time. Right. Now, yeah, I think, like, when Shiv... Because, um, like, Shiv took off a lot in part due to, uh, like, YouTubers and, like, you know, the, the viral sort of aspect of, of YouTube at that time. And I think, uh, in a lot of ways, Twitch has taken some of that market or that... Uh, avenue for games to to surface to the top uh, so it's definitely something that like anyone in this current environment who's interested in you know getting their game out to an audience it's is gonna be looking at you know so we're no we're not an exception to that i'd say right on now who in the office is the best at chivalry well See, we've got there's it's not a, an even yeah uh playing field cuz like Steve is he's been playing the game for like 7 years or something. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's, 
he's only a designer, so you know he doesn't really have to work that hard during the day. So right. Yeah. Just, we all know the just, designers don't work. Yeah. <laughs> so he <laughs> practice the game. So that's why he's so good at it. So, yeah. yeah. Steve, I can't even. I can't do anything against Steve. I yeah, just kind of really, have to roll over and die if he tries to get on me. When you realize that you've killed them, you know it's a it's a pretty big, pretty big deal. And then your paycheck you you notice is twenty dollars less <laughs> later. But. It says it on the check too. It's like <laughs> yeah, deductions. Killed me once in chivalry. <laughs> GTFO. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what's what's funny about that is there was um, a while back, uh, me and a couple buddies were were playing chivalry. And there was one guy on the map who would just wreck us. Like just every single time we'd like try, it'd be like two dudes against him. And he's like, no problem. One dude loses his head. And then the other <laughs> one is like stabbed shortly thereafter. And we're like, damn it. And uh, his character name was old Greg. And so, uh, oh, from yeah, the, what's, uh, deliverance, I think. Right. Oh, I was, there's a, there's a British TV show called the mighty Bush or something like that that has old greg in it and i never realized that that was from deliverance so that makes that character a lot creepier now. <laughs> i think it's from i i'm pretty sure it's from deliverance but but it might have been the the mighty, the mighty I, I think they they stole it from that i'm sure yeah well there you go i haven't seen the movie so there you go right well so what's funny is like we would every time we would play through, we're like fucking old Greg. Like every, you know, like we we'd get killed. We're like God, old Greg. There, there he is, is again, again. <laughs> old Greg. And so like we even in other games, we would like take it with us. So if someone killed, it's like dude, that guy's like old Gregging us right now. <laughs> He's smurfing, old Greg. Dude, right? Yeah, it's fucking old Greg, man. He's back again. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was <laughs> we kind of took that with us. So, so yeah, basically what I'm saying is the CEO is old Gregging you guys. Yeah, where he's seeing. I don't know. There's a guy. There's a guy in our office called Greg. So I'm gonna just be like, "Dude, quit old Gregging me." Right. I think you guys should take that verb and continue to use it. (laughs) Definitely. There you go. Good. Uh, Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna call it because it has now officially been an hour that we've been talking. Um, But is there anything that you guys want to throw out? Website information, uh, Twitter addresses. Things that you want to shout out about? Uh, uh, I guess, uh, what are our Twitter handles? I should know this. This probably would have been good to prepare before the show. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a programmer. I don't have to do this stuff. Well, I'll, I'll uh, plug my website, I guess, in the Boom. meantime. Do Go it. to dylan-brady.com. That's my portfolio. You can check out some of my work on there. Um, but yeah. And uh, our Twitter handles for, for our studio, it's at Torn Banner. And for Chivalry, it's at Chivalry Game. So definitely check those out. We actually have an awesome marketing guy who tweets out a lot of funny stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's actually pretty. I really like even just following our Twitter feed because I laugh at all the stuff. There's a bunch of peasants doing some filthy things on our Twitter feed. <laughs> filthy peasants it's always the peasants uh, damn peasants yep. uh, alright gentlemen uh, thank you so much for, for staying up late for talking to me and, and joining us on the show and 
everybody listening, if you want to hear more Game Devastation, just go to iTunes and look up Game Devastation, or you can go to patreon.com backslash Stephen Frost to hear more episodes uh, just like this one. And thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Adios. Thanks. <laughs>